Hello and welcome to this week's podcast version of Scripps 5 Must Know Things, this time for the Business Week ended 22nd October 2021. This is Ian Haydock. This time, a slow start for Biogen's Aduhelm. J&J looks to transition COVID vaccine to commercial sales. 270 Bio spins out from Bluebird Bio. UCB faces bimikizumab delays and progress and setbacks in gene therapy. Expectations for Biogen's third quarter sales of its Alzheimer's therapy Aduhelm were low, but the company reported just $300,000 in revenue from the product, falling far below analyst consensus of $12 to $17 million for Q3. Executives and outside commentators set a low bar prior to Biogen's earnings report on 20th October, and the company reiterated that it has a lot of work to do to drive significant sales growth in 2022 and beyond. Doctors have been reluctant to prescribe Aduhelm based on the mixed clinical trial results to date, especially when they do not know how its $56,000 annual list price will be covered by Medicare. The Centres for Medicare and Medicaid is expected to issue a draft national coverage determination in January for Adjuhelm and other amyloid-targeting monoclonal antibodies and finalise this in April. Biogen's biggest priorities going forward, in addition to obtaining a favourable CMS decision, are educating physicians about Adjuhelm and making sure infrastructure is in place to screen patients for amyloid pathology and obtain reimbursement for testing, Mandy Jackson writes. The company reported better-than-expected Q3 sales for some of its multiple sclerosis products, but CEO Michael Venatsos noted during the company's third-quarter earnings call that we are obviously disappointed with the delayed uptake of Adjuhelm in the US. Venatsos said the core focus is on enabling patients' access, noting, importantly, we have made steady progress on key metrics, but the healthcare system remains a major bottleneck. In particular, the lack of clarity on reimbursement has delayed patient access. The US FDA granted Aduhelm accelerated approval in June based on the antibody's ability to reduce amyloid levels in the brain and said full approval will depend on its ability to slow disease progression in a confirmatory trial. Phase 3 results to date are mixed, with one pivotal trial showing less cognitive decline among Aduhelm-treated patients versus those on placebo while a second phase 3 study did not show a statistically significant benefit. Fortunately for Biogen, the $2.2 billion in total revenue that the company's more established products brought in during the third quarter, while down from $2.7 billion in Q3 of last year, was greater than expected for the July to September period. Johnson & Johnson expects to transition its COVID-19 vaccine into a more traditional commercial product in late 2022 or early 2023, as the focus of vaccine administration turns more to boosters, Worldwide Chair of Pharmaceuticals Jennifer Taubert said in releasing the firm's third quarter results. Jessica Merrill writes that J&J committed to selling the vaccine on a not-for-profit basis during the pandemic phase of the health crisis, even as some of its peers namely Pfizer-BioNTech and Moderna, are profiting off the blockbuster-sized sales of their mRNA-based vaccines. I know our R&D team is gearing up to file for full approval, she told the company's third-quarter sales and earnings call on 19th October. I think we want to be moving into a full approval market for that switchover to commercial. 
J&J's COVID-19 vaccine is currently being administered under an emergency use authorization by the US FDA and under a conditional marketing authorization in Europe. Although J&J's vaccine was initially developed to be a single shot, the FDA's Vaccines and Related Biological Products Advisory Committee unanimously recommended an EUA for a booster dose in adults 18 and older at least two months following the initial vaccination, after a trial showed strong efficacy supporting a second dose. The company generated $522 million from sales of the vaccine in the quarter and $766 million in the first half of the year. Management previously forecast revenues of $2.5 billion from the vaccine this year, and in comparison, Pfizer has forecast $33.5 billion in revenue from its vaccine this year. J&J demonstrated steady growth in the third quarter, coming from all three of its business divisions led by pharmaceuticals, which is its largest business. Consolidated revenues increased 10.7% over the prior year quarter to $23.34 billion, and pharmaceutical revenues grew 13.8% to $12.99 billion. As oncology cell therapy-focused 270 Bio spins out from Bluebird Bio, it does so with both a marketed CAR-T cell therapy product and an extensive pipeline of candidates for a range of hematological and solid tumours. Bluebird set 19th October as the date for shareholders to receive one share of 270 stock for every three Bluebird shares they own, formally separating the two entities into independent, publicly traded companies, the company said on 18th October. The companies had announced in January that they would split, with Bluebird continuing to focus on gene therapies and a new oncology company focusing on cell therapies, including the anti-BCMA CAR-T therapy, Abecma. That left Bluebird marketing Zinteglo in Europe, a gene therapy for transfusion-dependent beta-thalassemia and also in development for sickle cell disease, and also in Europe marketing Skysona for cerebral adrenoleukodystrophy, which is in development in the US as Lenti-D. Alaric Diamond writes that the split comes as Bluebird has encountered multiple problems with its gene therapy programme. It said it would wind down commercial initiatives in Europe after failing to get reimbursement for Zinteglo for TDT there. It also announced that the US FDA had placed a clinical hold on Lenti-D due to a report of a patient developing myelodysplastic syndrome in its Phase 3 study. Still, in September, it submitted for FDA approval of Betisel in TDT. But 270 is off to a strong start with not only a Beckema on the market, but another CAR-T for multiple myeloma, BB21217 in Phase 1 development. By the end of the year, the firm plans to file investigational new drug applications for two additional CAR-Ts, the CD33 targeting DARIC33 in paediatric acute myeloid leukaemia and the CD79A CD20 targeting BBT369 in B-cell non-Hodgkin's lymphoma. Perhaps the nearest analogue to 270 in the CAR-T space is Legend Biotech, which licensed to Johnson & Johnson what will likely become the second BCMA-targeting CAR-T in multiple myeloma, Siltacabtigene autolucil. But Legend is also developing multi-antigen CAR-Ts as well. UCB's hopes of launching bimekizumab in the US before year-end have been thwarted by COVID-19-related travel restrictions that have presented an inspection of the site where the closely-watched psoriasis drug is manufactured. 
Kevin Grogan writes that the interleukin 17A and 17F inhibitor was approved in the EU and the UK in August, branded as Bilmzelks, and UCB was expecting a similar green light in the US. However, as the PDUFA date of 15th October passed, the US FDA informed the Belgian company that it was unable to complete a review of the biologics license application for bimikizumab until on-site inspections of the European manufacturing facilities for the drug were completed. However, the flow of inspections has been reduced to a trickle during the pandemic and the FDA told UCB that due to COVID-19 related restrictions on travel, it was deferring action on the application until an inspection could be completed. The Brussels headquartered company stressed that there were no safety or efficacy issues around the application. UCB Chief Medical Officer Iris Lou Friedrich said the firm had provided the agency with its manufacturing schedules through the first quarter of 2022 and that we are eager to assist the FDA and to allow its assessment of bimikizumab to be finalised. Bilmzelks is vital to the future growth of UCB and while a drug is a late entrant to a very congested psoriasis market, the company is convinced that blocking IL-17F in addition to IL-17A increases the levels of response even further than with just IL-17A inhibitors. The therapy has also racked up wins in the clinic in head-to-head psoriasis trials against the likes of Cosentix, AbbVie's Humira and Johnson & Johnson's IL-1223 inhibitor blockbuster Stellara. However, in addition to skin conditions, the drug is also in late-stage trials for Hydrodenitis suppurativa, UCB is confident that Bilmzelks is also going to be effective in joints. The first headline results from phase 3 studies of the drug for the treatment of psoriatic arthritis, ankylosing spondylitis and non-radiographic axial spondyloarthritis are expected in the fourth quarter. Finally, the shine on gene therapy technology platforms has dulled as some companies' lead therapeutic candidates flail in clinical trials due to safety concerns or efficacy that is not as strong or as long-lasting as hoped. That does not mean that investors have backed away from the gene therapy field entirely, but they have become more discerning about which platforms they will fund according to investors speaking at the Alliance for Regenerative Medicine's Cell and Gene Therapy meeting on the MESA. Mandy Jackson writes that participants in a 14th October investment panel noted that initial gene therapy successes have been followed by notable setbacks, leading investors to look for novel delivery platforms and non-gene therapy technologies to address rare diseases and expand genetic medicines into diseases with larger patient populations. Gabola Amusa, whose partner and chief scientific officer at the investment bank Chardan, pointed out that the success of Avexis and its product Zolgensma, approved in 2019 for spinal muscular atrophy type 1, catalyzed investment in the gene therapy space. Novartis acquired Avexis for $8.7 billion in 2018. Based on the success of Zolgensma, Amusa said, Companies did pretty well by moving quickly into the clinic and we saw some multi-billion dollar market caps formed. However, chasing high valuations based on first-in-the-clinic strategies led to some growing pains in the gene therapy space, he said, as some companies made scientific compromises to achieve first-mover status. Once again, safety has become one of the main challenges in the gene therapy space as companies such as Astellas subsidiary Ordentes, for example, 
face clinical holes when patients encounter severe and sometimes deadly adverse events that may be associated with adeno-associated virus vectors used to deliver gene therapies. In response, investors and big pharma companies alike have backed next-generation delivery technologies including novel AAV vector platforms and non-viral vectors. Shape Therapeutics, for instance, recently closed a $112 million Series B venture capital round and inked a deal with Roche worth potentially billions of dollars in milestone fees. Clearly, this has been the hottest space in the industry over the last 5 to 10 years, so there's a mad rush to push these programs forward. Chris Garabedian, who's CEO of the biotechnology accelerator Zontogeni, told the Cell and Gene meeting. But we all know drug development is hard, and gene and cell therapy development is really hard, he said. That's all for this week. Thanks as always for listening. A reminder that these stories in full are linked in the article accompanying this podcast, and to sign in to Script to access much more global content. Sign up for a free trial if you're not already a subscriber to see what you're missing. Bye for now.